Okay, we just want to give you guys a brief warning about this show. It is about a tragedy, and there is some graphic detail of what happened during this accident. So if you've got little ears around, you may want to give it a preview uh, before hitting play in the car. All of a sudden, we heard a couple of really loud screams, and I just took off as fast as I could that way. And I walked up on Katie all wrapped up in the auger. And her hair had been pulled out, and her ear had been pulled off, and her fingers had been ripped out, which I didn't, I didn't know at the time. And I'm, I'm sure I was in a state of shock. But Katie was talking. She's like, I was like, darling, we're going to take care of that. We're going to pray. Or so I think I said, darling, we're going to pray, and you're going to be okay. And she goes, I know, Dad. Muslims, Christians, and, and the, the zombie. zombie apocalypse. Muslims, Christians, and the zombie apocalypse. And they have zombie apocalypse. <laughs> so a couple of years ago, um, Trevor was hanging out with the guys, and uh, he told us that he met somebody remarkable. Yeah, I came to Guys Night, and I said, uh, I got to tell you guys about a story about one of the most remarkable people I've ever encountered. And even as I told the story to the guys, I remember tearing up, and they, you know, I know these guys well enough where they weren't, like, making fun of me. They were just like, oh, he's serious. Yeah. It, no, actually, it was pretty emotional from the beginning. <laughs> so what was so intense was uh, a student had come to the university where I teach and uh, was potentially wanting to be a student here full time. And uh, I noticed that she didn't have all of her fingers, that she had some scarring. And me being the type of person I am, rather than awkwardly wonder, I just asked, can I hear what happened? And uh, I asked her later, is that normal? Do people just ask you that? And she says, no, not adults, just kids. I don't know how to take that, but <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> so, you know, she told me her story and I was there and I got to hear it from her father and her mother. And I was so touched, moved by the story that I wanted to record it and, and share it because I think it's a story that's incredible and just shows the faithfulness of God in the midst of tragedy. Okay, so set the stage for us. Uh, Katie grew up on a farm, a peach farm. A uh, couple hundred acres, and it was regular for her. She remembers even from being just a small child, just working on the farm. You know, it's what you do. And she was 14 years old, and her and her cousin were digging holes for new peach trees. And they were using a machine called an auger. Um, those of you who are farmers are laughing that I need to explain what an auger is. Yeah, those of you yeah, who are not. Are <laughs> so it's basically, it digs a hole much quicker than by shovel. And it's almost, if you can imagine, like a corkscrew that goes down into the dirt and digs a hole and, and you pull it up and there's a nice hole there that's nice and straight. And so Katie's job was to straighten the auger and make sure the holes, the holes were dug straight. And uh, her cousin was driving the tractor. He would wait until she had it steadied and then turn it on and the auger would dig the hole and then they'd dig the next one. And they had been doing this for about four weeks. I mean, hundreds and hundreds, maybe even over a thousand holes had been dug. And this was their last day of digging. They had less than a hundred holes to dig, and they were thinking they could get it done by the end of the day. That's when the accident happens. Her parents were working in an adjoining field, 
As uh, her father described in the beginning, there were screams, and immediately he jumps on his four-wheeler, heads towards the screams. Her mother jumps into the truck and also heads to where they know that Katie and her cousin are digging holes. When I came up on Katie, the f- first I didn't even register what had happened or what was going on, just that she was standing at the back of the tractor. And, um, and then I noticed that Katie was kind of bald and then that was when I realized that her hair had been her whole hair had been um, jerked off and um, so I took my coat off it was a pullover coat and I just jerked it off and I put it over her head trying to keep her from going into shock and she was hanging on the, the PTO bar that was attached to the auger and her arms were all twisted around and um, she was sort of hanging there and she couldn't stand up and she couldn't sit down so I kind of just put my knees up under her and just kind of lifted her up with my knees so that she would have something to rest on. And um, that's when I realized, when I got closer, that's when I realized that her her fingers were just bone. They were just, the, the tips of her fingers were just jerked off and just, some, just bare bone. I just remember the look of terror on my nephew's face because he was one manning the tractor. That's when my youngest son came around and just looked at her and said, Katie, you're not okay. At that moment, all I could do was pray and pray hard. And so I literally fell on my face on the ground, prostrate, and I began to pray in tongues as loud as I could possibly pray. Don't know why. That's just what I felt like I needed to do. And and I just continued doing that while Chris and Jacob were taking care of Katie on the machine, trying to wrap her up. Trevor and I had a, a little discussion as we were kind of listening to the clip uh, about what our first reaction is if we found our daughter in an auger. Uh, and and both of us admitted, right, Trevor? Uh, both of us admitted. It, it Howard probably, admitted it first. <laughs> it probably wouldn't have been falling on our face prostrate in prayer, uh, which you know, to my chagrin, I you know, I, I'm a little embarrassed about that. But the, but the idea is this: that this father was so desperate, and his wife, uh, his daughter was so helpless, that he had no choice. Yeah, I mean, if we're being honest, Howard and I were like, you know, why not like first thing call 911 why not first thing like try to get her out why not you know and then we realized in that why not moment that both of us were very much you know we're westerners and it's like call for help and we were almost a little bit judgmental about Katie's father for calling help upon on high and not like calling the paramedics first and then we kind of had a moment where we just sat back and said hmm yeah he probably did the right thing <laughs> well we'll see as the story progresses Sometime later is when she came back and told me that as long as we were praying in tongues, that there was absolutely no pain. And I thought, well, this has got to be the best miracle that I've ever experienced because of all the damage that was done to her body. Okay, so some of you guys are probably a little bit shocked right now. You're like, did he just say, as I was praying in tongues... Yeah, that's what she farmers pain. That's what farmers do. Yeah, not right? not I mean, what I would think, right? <laughs> but that was what he said. Is as long as he was praying in tongues. I have to tell you, Howard, at the very beginning of this interview, the very first questions that Katie's father asked me was, "Do you believe people can be filled with the Holy Ghost?" And I was thinking, 
I wish I had hit record. And he said, before you hit record, do you believe that people are filled with the Holy Ghost? Now, all I had to do for my street cred was say, well, actually, I got saved at a Pentecostal revival. <laughs> Your street and cred. He said, yeah, and he said, no, my spiritual credentials, right? my, my spiritual cred, my, right. my Pentecostal cred, I guess. But, you know, I was saved at a Pentecostal revival. He asked which one. I said, the Brownsville Revival in Pensacola, Florida in 1997, and that was sufficient for him. I think he was kind of testing me because he didn't want to scare me by some of the things he was about to say. Right. He's probably shared a story enough to where he's had a mixed bag. <laughs> so for those of you that are wondering, you're probably thinking, what are you guys talking about? He prayed in tongues. So... In the Pentecostal church, uh, there is the concept of praying in a foreign tongue. Now, for people that don't believe in praying in tongues, they'll say that that's just speaking in a foreign language. And for uh, Pentecostals, they would say, well, sometimes it's praying in a heavenly language that is inexplicable. Nobody knows what it means, and it is the spirit groaning inside and through the person that is petitioning on their behalf because they're in such a traumatic state. They can't pray on their own, so the spirit prays through them. That may be the first time some of you guys have heard of that, but that's what praying in tongues is. That's what he's referencing. Yeah, thank you for that, uh, Professor Caster. <laughs> now we know what Pentecostal tongues is. I, well, I didn't want anybody to be like, you know, confused or uh, shocked because it is important to know that this is a charismatic family and they attribute much of what happens in this entire event to miraculous works of God uh, in the family. After I got up, I called 911 and told them what had happened and where we were. And they said, can you stay on the phone? I was like, no, I can't. i got to attend my daughter. And like, it seemed like five minutes, there was like 500 people there. All right, so it's hard to imagine how in such a short amount of time people are coming from all around, but it's a farming community. Yeah, news travels fast, and uh, I think someone actually had a police scanner and was listening to the 911 call. Yeah, actually their neighbor was a retired paramedic and he had a scanner. He was over there immediately and began directing the paramedics as they arrived, kind of overseeing the whole process. Now, some of you are probably wondering, like, why didn't they get their daughter off of this machine? Well, as the mother described, she was kind of holding her up and propping her up because she was so wrapped up in this machine. If you can imagine a steel bar that spins upwards of 500 revolutions uh, a a minute, you know, it's it's unbelievably fast, and when this thing caught her, it wrapped her up almost like a pretzel in this bar, and so they couldn't get her off. And as the paramedics got there, they began to basically undo the knot that was her arms. While the paramedics was taking care of Katie and trying to get her off the machine, um, there was a group of people over here praying, and there was a group of people over here praying. People from our church showed up, and and there was this one particular guy. It's actually my brother-in-law, who's not a regular church grower, but he believes in Jesus. And he came up, he said, "Can I pray?" And he grabbed me and Jacob, and he put his arms around us, and he began to pray as hard as he could. So there was a lot of praying going on. Um, so when they kind of took over, all of a sudden had nothing to do. <laughs> so that's when I pretty much started going to shock. And, and the only phone number that I could remember was my pastor's number. I couldn't remember my mom's number. I couldn't remember my dad's number. I couldn't remember any, anybody else in my family's phone number, but I remember my pastor's number. So I called him, told him what happened. And he was in the mountains on a retreat with his family. And he left immediately and drove all night in Medicine Chapel Hill. Um, after I hung up with him, then I still had nothing to do. So I kind of wandered around aimlessly. 
And then some friends of ours from church drove up and then I saw them and I was like, then I fainted. <laughs> I was just on the ground and um, I kind of came to and then they started taking care of me. So Katie's brother James is away at college while this is happening and he's on his way home. Uh, and the parents were pretty scared that he was going to come and just walk in on this scene. And so they had a friend meet him at the gate. Um, at the gate, they do flag him down and they start to walk him towards the scene. And all they tell him is that something terrible has happened to Katie. I found my mom and she was on the ground just in tears and in shock, I guess, because I went up to her and talked to her and some women from our church were around her and like, oh, here's James, James is here. And she didn't acknowledge me. Like, um, I was like, all right, well, that's not gonna work. Then I saw my cousin and um, I walked over to my cousin and I said, Matthew, what's going on? And he just started crying. So I was like, I wasn't getting answers out of anyone. So um, finally, I walked over to where there was an ambulance and I saw my dad and he didn't really say anything either. And then the friend that had stopped me at our driveway, she, um, she knocked on the ambulance door and said to the person inside, this is her brother, can he see her? So they let me in the ambulance through like the cab and and I went into the back and there she was in the bed and she's all wrapped up in gauze and everything. And she's shaking, she's trembling a lot. And um, her arm, her right arm was broken and it looked like she had two elbows. Like it was really, really messed up. And I was like, what on earth happened? Well, I just said, hey, Katie. And she goes, hey. And everyone looks at me like, did she just say hey? And I was like, so are you all right? Like, how do you ask? Like, are you okay? Like, in that situation, I'm like, are you all right? She's like, yeah, I'm fine. And, and then the the helicopter landed. You know, the way that James describes it, it's clear that everybody is in shock, right? He, nobody's even responding to him. Everybody's just falling apart. And he just kind of walks up on this entire scene. And it's amazing how calm he actually is, but I think he's probably in shock too. You know, it has to be at least on some level, but he, you know, he described it well. What do you say to somebody that's in that condition as he describes her condition and he just kind of says, hey Katie, and then she responds and it's shocking to everybody that she's talking. The helicopter lands, they put Katie on board and they immediately medevac her to UNC Chapel Hill. But as the helicopter's pulling away, her father has this like moment with God. When the helicopter was lifting up into the sky, I looked up at the sky and I said, God, I'm going to serve you anyway. This is not going to change nothing. It's like at that moment, it's like the Holy Spirit began to minister to me, and I started feeling better. Um, the thought that comes to my head when I heard that uh, was cast your cares upon him, you know. And uh, I don't know, for me... It's a, it's a testimony to God because, you know, like in the, in the small things, you know, like we, we do this in our quiet times every day, um, where you have anxiety, we put it on God. And, you know, we do feel better. But then you got something like this, man, where your whole world is crumbling. I can't imagine uh, seeing my daughter like that and him being able just to, to give it over to God and, and, and be comforted by the Holy Spirit. It's just absolutely amazing to me. Right. It sounds like a story in the Bible with Job when 
Job is losing everything in his responses. You give and you take away, but still he's going to bless the Lord. He has that moment where no matter what happens, he's going to serve God. It's pretty amazing. And speaking of amazing, there's something that actually happens on the helicopter ride that uh, you need to hear about. One of our EMTs um, was a friend of ours, and uh, she knew that we were spirit-filled. And so the paramedics on the chopper, Katie started praying in tongues during the flight, and they thought that she was getting delirious. They were going to medicate Katie and try to keep her from the delirium and going and, you know. And she says, no, 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 don't leave her alone. Leave her alone. She's praying. Leave her alone. And um, so they backed off. And the testimony of one, one of the paramedics on the helicopter was that her faith was so amazing to him. He wasn't even a believer that by the time he got to Chapel Hill, he got his family in church and he got saved. So it's kind of a funny story, right? She begins praying in the spirit as she describes it, speaking in tongues. And the EMTs are thinking she's getting delirious. <laughs> Freak some people she's out. She's going into shock. It, it, in some ways, Howard, it does remind you of Acts chapter 2. Right? Yeah, it When does. the apostles come out, they're speaking in other languages that nobody understands. And right. people are like, oh, they're clearly they're drunk. drunk right? <laughs> so they're thinking she's in shock. She's hitting into delirium. Let's give her medicine. And the EMT says, no, she's spirit-filled. Yeah, like, that's how she prays. Yeah. That's just how she prays. It's fine. But when they get to the hospital, they start to have reality hit home as to what is actually going on here. This is a heavy moment. Right. And it's not just heavy because um, of the tragedy, but also what the recovery process might be like. If she makes it through the night, we'll be here at least eight months. And I was thinking, well, forget the farm because i got to be here with Katie. We were thinking, Chris and I even said, I was talking about, well, we would just forget the farm. Whatever happens, happens. But a bunch of our church friends had followed us up there, and we got in a group to pray. And everybody began to pray in the name of Jesus, like the, I shouldn't say we Pentecostals, but the way we do. And, and one lady said, I don't believe that that's going to happen. I believe God's going to intervene. So that first night of surgeries went on for hours, uh, hours and hours and hours, actually. She had... Uh, grand total 11 surgeries about 27 hours worth of surgeries in at one time no the first night was 12 hours of surgery oh my god this is over a period of, of weeks right she's having multiple surgeries but what's interesting is that you know katie's mom in the minute of the tragedy like went into just sort of care mode you know holding her daughter up covering her head doing what needs her. to be done yes now. and then the minute she knew someone else could care for her daughter she had all of the emotions, you know, she went into shock, she was wandering around, and when she gets to the hospital, she just describes how difficult it was when she took full account of everything that was happening. I was at a state where I couldn't even really pray, personally. It was just, I, I never asked why God, but at the same time, but at the same time, I, I could feel everyone's prayers keeping me, just holding me, keeping me up praying for me, intervening for me because I didn't even, couldn't even pray, you know, and I knew the Lord was just always there, and, but I just couldn't pray. It was just kind of a weird uh, transition. Um, you just kind of, you survive, you turn, you turn into a survivalist. 
I just remember just uncontrollable crying. Just can't, you know, just wrapping your mind around everything's happening. And it was like, we have kind of like a timeline before Katie and after Katie. And it wasn't her birth, it was whenever she was injured. Um, it was just a different moment, momentum. And um, what it was gonna imply, and I just remember singing to myself, uh, I think it was an Irish lullaby. May the may the road rise to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. Um, the sunshine warm upon your face, the rain fall softly on your fields, and until we meet again. I just kind of hummed that lullaby over and over again to myself, and if for whatever reason, just that small comfort, you know. I think the beautiful thing about this is that oftentimes whenever we, um, as Christians, we sometimes get in our head that we can't grieve, um, that there's no room for sadness in Christianity because we have too much hope, you know, and, and I get that. Uh, but it's all over the Bible. I mean, think about lamentations. Uh, think about the Psalms. And I love how the Psalms just start with uh, grieving or anger or anxiety, and it, it ends with the hope in the Lord. But then there's that journey, right, in between. And so here I think this is a great example with her emotional uh, just breaking down and, and crying and, uh, and, and shock, uh, but in the end, just beginning to move towards the Lord and her hope. Yeah, and one of the things that I think is key is that uh, Katie's mom, she kind of shielded Katie from her grief because she didn't want Katie to feel burdened by the fact that she was having a difficult time. So it wasn't just that. They, they did everything that they could to make the atmosphere peaceful, to bring just joy to the room, even though it was a tragic setting. All right, so this show wouldn't be possible without sponsors. And at this point in the show is where if you want to partner with us, we would put your ad. So if you want to be a part of the show, you, you want like, to partner with us. You like what we're doing. You want to be on our team, what have you. Bring this show to the world. Then email us and let us know. And we put it and we just played low worship music 24-7, never turned it off. People, nurses would come in and said that people were just walking by our room and they were going, there's just something different about that room. I just like walking by that room. You know, I think the Holy, the presence of the Holy Spirit took over. Yeah, uh, as her dad says, it's like the Holy Spirit, you know, took over. Right, and they just invited the Holy Spirit to come and just inhabit that room. And you know, I, I, Howard, when I heard this, I was thinking, okay, <laughs> this is a tough one, right? Because there's so much going on in my mind about, like, uh, is worship music the best thing? You know, she needs quiet. She needs rest. I mean, I don't know what's wrong with my heart, but that's what I was thinking well, immediately. Well, I, I was just thinking, like, is, is, you know, is there anything, any power in music, you know? Uh, but I think that that's the idea that they just invited the Spirit and they just kept that, that, that kind of mood, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it does some things, right? It does some things. Well, I think there's part of the problem is we're seeing that, you know, sort of secular Western medicine is realizing that there really is some benefit to setting the mood in, you know, having an atmosphere of worship. Well, that's what her father attributes to so many miracles. When they started Katie's skin drafts, the first time when they had to unbandage her and look at him, the doctor 
called me out in the hallway and he said, we don't expect this to be a full take. If we get 50%, we'll be excited. We know we're going to have to do some again. And so they unbandaged her and, he, and, and the, all of the doctors were elated because it was like 75 to 80% t- took of her whole head. There's just one spot up there that they had to redo. Just 75% 80% of her whole head took. And the, even the doctors were elated. said, wow, I've never seen that happen before. You know, and it's like a thousand miracles like that that happened. So it wasn't just the miracles, right? It was a lot more than that. There was also the support from the church and the community. So we had cards from all over the world, the missionaries and and 4-H, just, just she had cards from countries that we never even heard of. In the 30 days, she, 31 days she's at the hospital, she got over 5,000 cards. And we just lined the wall, her walls were wallpapered in, in cards, get well cards and thinking of you cards and prayer cards. And it was just amazing. She, when the mail cart came through, they would hand out mail to all of the, it was in the children's ward, um, to all the rooms. But Katie actually got her own mail cart because there was so many cards and letters that came in that they just trucked the whole kit, cart into her room. So just the support emotionally and the prayers that were out there and this is just, just amazing. This is just something funny. I would always look at them because after they first started coming, and maybe this is why I don't like that word, I opened up a card and in there it says, Katie, I'm sorry you got scalped, but Jesus is going to help you or something. I'm like, I don't want Katie to see that. I don't want her, and, and right now, I don't even know if she knew the extent of her damage. And so every day when the mail come, I would go sit in the corner and open cards. If it was good, I'd put it in this pack. If it was something like that, I'd throw it away. And so there was a few cards that Katie never saw. But after about, I don't know, maybe the third week in the hospital, she goes, Mom, I just noticed them. Every time I get mail, it's always open. <laughs> Who's opening my mail? <laughs> But with all things, there are ebbs and flows. Uh, there are times that they're good. You know, she's opened up letters, uh, even though they've been pre-opened. Yeah, I think it's sweet that yeah. the dad is like, yeah, you he's know, protecting her. Yeah. You know, uh, but then sometimes uh, it gets really hard, like this one conversation. One of the hardest things for me, I have long hair. And when Katie asked the question, did I lose my hair? It was probably the hard, I, I almost was ashamed that I had long hair. Or, or, cause I wanted, I, I didn't know how to, how she would take the fact that she didn't have any, she didn't even have a scalp, you know, it was a skin graft and everything. But she was the most gracious when I told her, you know, you, know, you lost all your hair and your ear. And she's like, okay. She's like, and I was like, I'm so sorry. She says, mama, it's okay. Your hair is beautiful. I almost cried. Right. I yeah. teared up in that part. No, you can see why her dad is wanting to sort of protect her from seeing cards that would be negative, right? Katie is clearly a feeler, and she feels people's emotions in that sense. Right. You know, so they're and, not. And wanting she's her so to take strong, on. and she's yes. so strong in this. You know, like to to see that crumble, I think would be a, you know a tragedy for her dad. You know, because it, it every testimony that I've heard so far about Katie has been strength. And her dad wants to do whatever he can to sort of protect that strength. You know, he's concerned about people speaking negatively, um, putting negative thoughts into the room. For instance, there was one pastor that wanted to come and pray. But in his mind, uh, he just kind of told Katie's dad, like, you know, the best thing would be for her to go to heaven and be with Jesus. 
and her dad just was not okay with that line of thinking. And it's because he remembers. Remember, right when they came into the hospital, a woman prayed and said, I don't think Katie will even be here eight months. And he believed and wholeheartedly held to the fact that the Holy Spirit was going to heal his daughter. And he wanted to keep anybody out of the room that would say otherwise. I'm really a stickler, if that's a good word, for the Holy Spirit and what the Bible says. You know, I really believe that. And I, I want to live my life. And, and I want my kids and my, we live what we believe. Hospital policy is if somebody is in a serious trauma, they have to see a psychiatrist. And so one day a psychiatrist walked up to the room and shook his hand and introduced himself. And as I come here to see Katie and I was like, why? He goes, well, it's hospital policy. And I was like, well, we prayed for Katie and I think she's gonna be okay. And he says, oh boy. I mean, it's like his attitude was, and I, I don't wanna condemn anybody, but his attitude was like, oh boy, another one of these Christian fanatics or something like that. And he says, well, I have to see her. And I was like, no, I'm not going to let you in there and try to put bad thoughts in her head. We prayed, and we believe the Holy Ghost is going to heal her. And I'm her dad, and I'm, I'm sticking with that. And so about, I don't know, the second night that she was in a room, she had a nightmare of her cousin screaming. Kind of a flashback, you know. I, I, I shouldn't say nightmare. I'd say flashback, flashback would be a better word. Well, the next morning, 8 o'clock, that doctor was knocking on the door. And he said, okay, so now she's hearing voices. You still don't want me to talk to her. I'm like, she's not hearing voices. My daughter is not hearing voices, and you are not coming in my room. And I had to get stern because he tried to force his way. So I went to the, the doctor, our doctor, and I told him what was going on. And he says, James, you have the right to keep him out if you want to. You don't have to let him in there. And me as your head doctor, I'll give you permission to say that. And so I didn't let him in there. And, and, and I was like, am I doing something wrong? Because they were so adamant. And, and so I called a friend of mine from church and discussed with him on the phone. I was like, look, Jack, I, I just don't want this guy in Katie's room. I feel like the Holy Spirit's doing something and I don't want him in there. And he's like, James, I feel like you need to go what you feel like the Holy Spirit is saying to you. So I just, I never let him in there. And we come to find out that there was a lady that would come by and read stories to kids. And we were allowing her to come in and sit down and read to Katie. And they would give Chris a break where Chris could go to cafeteria some. Come to find out this lady was like searching for information to run to the psychiatrist with. <laughs> I just really love the spirit of this guy. Uh, Katie's dad isn't mad. He kind of chuckles about it because they send in their little spy. Um, and, you know, and you really do kind of get the sense that everyone's wanting the best for Katie. They just kind of have a different viewpoint about it. Uh, but Katie's dad isn't malicious about it. Like, he's just like, <laughs> they sent in a spy, you know. What are you going to do? I, I can almost imagine the hospital psychiatrist kind of wanting to force his way in. And if you get to meet Katie's dad, Howard, he's a big guy. He's about <laughs> six foot four. Wow. I wouldn't try to, like, kind of muscle past that guy. Yeah, 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 right? And I was thinking the psychiatrist would probably be somebody that was really skinny and have a pencil mustache. I don't know why. Like the villain in Such a, a generalized in a cartoon. Thing. <laughs> in <a> cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But I can also see how at this point there's probably some psychiatrists, some psychologists listening, thinking that girl needs help yeah, therapy. From, their, from, yeah. their, from their perspective, right? 
But her dad wholeheartedly believes that the Holy Spirit is going to do something, and he's sticking to his guns here. But the question, you know, that I keep thinking of is, but how does Katie feel about this whole thing? So we're trying to keep shows down to less than 30 minutes, so it's going to be a two-part show. We're going to get to hear Katie's side of the story and her experience, and particularly how God has used this tragedy to work in the Muslim world, which is really fascinating. So please stay tuned. Uh, tell your friends about it. Uh, iTunes, again, reviews, all that stuff that we say every week. Um, it, but it helps. It really matters to us, and it, and it helps. And, so, and I know you guys you know, want to support us and you know, listen, all that good stuff. <laughs> That's right. And we do have a 50th reviewer. We are going to be sending you a coffee mug uh, with Muslims, Christians, and the zombie apocalypse logo on it. So we are almost ordered. <laughs> hey, so when is the uh, when is the what's the next review uh, that we're going to give uh, at sixty or seventy? Sixty. Let's do sixty. All right. So the sixtieth review. Don't don't review. Like they're just going to wait until there's like fifty. No, no, no. All right, we're just randomly going to send people who review the show a coffee mug, and we'll announce them each week. How's that? That's a good idea. Yeah. All right. Uh, no, but before we go, let's give you uh, a clip from next week's show. As I got to know people who are Muslim or people who have done ministry or have just made friends with Muslims, I have just begun to have a real heart for them. I feel like in a lot of ways I can relate to them. Um, I grew up in somewhat of an honor-shame society in the back town of North Carolina. Um, But more than that, just realized a lot more they're not Muslim they're just people that are of the Muslim religion and especially here in the states people don't see them that way and so to connect with a whole group of people that most Americans are scared to connect with is just something that I've become passionate about over the last couple years Um, to help them adjust because I know the difficulty of something being totally new with my accident I had to learn to walk again I learned to ride again Um, life just changed dramatically and for a lot of Muslims who are coming to the states their lives have changed dramatically culturally 